0: Hello from the MIT Legal Forum on AI and Blockchain here at MIT's Media Lab in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm Jonathan Askin, Professor of Law at Brooklyn Law School. I'm Casey
1: Coolman, CEO of a company called Monax.
0: And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Thank you so much for joining us on the road. It's a pleasure to be here at the MIT legal forum on AI and blockchain. Today, we're talking about legal contracts and smart contracts. So uh, Casey, I should say, I know you gave a wonderful keynote here at MIT. I know this because I was terrified. And I should preface this by saying, I teach technology law. I've been a lawyer for 20 years. Everything you said terrified me but I hope that it inspired most of us to figure out our role in this new blockchain-enabled legal environment. So I'd love for you to get us up to speed first. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your history, your trajectory? I know you were an engineer. I know you're a lawyer. It looked like you were in the Marines at one point. Tell us how you got to where you are and how you launched Monax.
1: Sure. So I've led a windy path through life. I did my first degree in structural engineering, but uh, typically I rage against the machine. um, And rather than building things, I went and decided to blow them up. So I was an infantry officer in the Marine Corps for a while. After that, I decided to go be a rider and a ski bum for a while. And then I decided, well, I might need to uh, do something with my life. And uh, so then after that, I went to law school. After law school, I didn't want to do the typical law firm uh, thing. So I went to Africa first to West Africa, where I worked uh, on war crimes tribunals, and then to East Africa, where I did at first governance reform work. And then I ran my own law firm uh, in Somalia for uh, more than four years. Uh, During that time, I was uh, working on open source legal document assembly software for legal practitioners. I built a system called Legal Markdown. And I was very interested in how do we bring uh, greater efficiency and effectiveness to transactional practices using systems that coders use and paradigms that coders use, and that led me to uh, to very early versions of smart contracting systems leveraging blockchain technology. Um, and in 2014, I got together with uh, uh, two other uh, founders, and we decided to put together a company that would really focus on the legal applications of blockchain technology. And that company originally was called Aris Industries, and now has been rebanded to Monax late last year.
0: So you said the term blockchain. This is a term that perhaps four years ago, very few listeners would have known what you're talking about. Now I suspect it's the hot word du jour right now. But you said another term, smart contracting. Now, I know it's become a concept in vogue over the past couple years. Can you tell us what you mean by smart contracts and smart contracting? Is that an actual legal document?
1: It's not a legal document. In fact, uh, as I said during the keynote, it's probably the worst moniker in all of technology. Smart contracts are neither smart nor are they contracts by default. That said, they do very interesting things. What they are, are scripts that run within a blockchain network. And they're ran by all of the nodes within a blockchain network. And this gives us an ability to have assured collective data processing power that is audited and modified by an entire network of computers.
0: So who writes these smart contracts, if not lawyers?
1: Well, typically coders write uh, these, uh, these, these things that we call smart contracts at this point. Um, they're typically not written by lawyers. However, there's nothing stopping lawyers from learning them. I am uh, a little bit skeptical uh, as to lawyers needing to learn code. However, as a lawyer myself and as uh, a technologist myself, I have found that uh, learning uh, how to code has helped my legal practice and knowing how to practice law has helped me become a better coder. There's a lot of paradigms and overlap. That said, the necessity of learning both sides of this, I think, is uh, not applicable to most lawyers.
0: So you and your team, you do write smart contracts?
1: We do. We write a lot of smart contracts. And these
0: are for clients?
1: Uh, For clients, uh, as well as we have our own platforms that are available.
0: All right, and so what do you do with these smart contracts? Someone comes to you, what is the context of, you say these are self-executing documents, how would it work? Let's say I'm doing international trade and I decide I wanted to do some transaction on the blockchain. I would come to Monax and do what?
1: Well, if you came to uh, Monax in that scenario, we would uh, potentially work with you to identify what are the pain points within the lifecycle of current systems that you can leverage blockchain technology to solve. And once we had worked through that, we would uh, leverage off of our uh, library of a whole range of smart contracts. We would combine the functionality uh, into uh, providing a lifecycle management system for the particular instruments that you were talking about in trade finance.
0: So you have, I I guess, a deep and growing deeper repository of smart contract language that you drop into various other documents?
1: That's exactly right. Okay.
0: And do you write legal prose contracts no, as
1: well? No, we don't. As Monacs, we don't. We're not auth- we, we have a range of lawyers, but as a company, we don't practice law. Uh, we leverage uh, existing legal practitioners uh, that we have partnerships with to do that.
0: So you mentioned a term in your talk, something you call dual integration, which sounds like it's some way of combining smart contracts with legal contracts, prose contracts and coded contracts. Can you explain that, flesh that out a bit?
1: I'd love to. So one of the things that we see within the industry is an over-reliance on uh, code and an under-reliance on actual legal pros that has been tried and true within industry. In the concept of dual integration, or uh, some may know it as Ricardian contracts, the idea is that we want to let code be code and law be law and not try to necessarily conflate the two. And dual integration is simply a concept for combining a code-based smart contract with a prose-based typical contract, what uh, your listeners that are lawyers would typically think of as a contract. And the idea of dual integration is to provide a one-to-one mapping between a piece of code that is running on a blockchain and a piece of prose that exists uh, in a document that can be taken to court and when you package these two together and leverage this design parameter you have an ability to uh, let smart contracts do what they do which is provide efficiencies of coordination across companies or at a global level Uh, and then you still have the failover of a traditional contract that can be taken to a court or other dispute resolution forum
0: so casey you said something that was a bit refreshing to me you said that there tends to be an over-reliance on smart contracts and perhaps an under-reliance on prose legal contracts, at least for the moment. I'd like to take that in a bit of a uh, skewed direction. Let's, let's talk a little bit about AI contract writing and template contract existence. I'm hoping that there is still a role for the young lawyer or the traditional lawyer in this whole smart contract, legal contract ecosystem. But in a world where anyone can get a legal contract or legal language from a template online or from a machine learning AI algorithm. Is there an ongoing role in your world, in your mind, for the lawyer who wants to go the traditional route and draft legal language, legal prose, legal contracts, and integrate it into your dual integrated smart contract scenario?
1: Absolutely. And and that's a great question. And it's a nice way to phrase the question. And, and typically when I get this question, I analogize to doctors and pharmacists. So uh, doctors still exist for a reason. And, and typically, even though doctors are not the ones that uh, give out drugs to Customers or to clients, they're still the ones that do the diagnosis and prescription as to what drugs you should use. And I think that that analogy holds for the legal industry moving forward. If anyone can go to a a huge form database to get a legal contract that might be relevant to their particular transaction that does not necessitate that that is the right form for their particular transaction. There might be various nuances uh, with a transaction that require them to use Form A rather than Form B. The layperson might not understand those nuances. And so this is where the role of the lawyer within a world where we have a huge availability of forms online still exists. And and while lawyers should be the ones that are building such forms and hopefully getting paid for the writing of such forms, whether they have written the form or not, they still have a role in providing strategic advice to clients, which is what lawyers have done for years.
0: Okay. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sounding a bit Pollyannish when I hear you speak about this. I'm a law professor. My objective is to teach lawyers to think in a subtle, sophisticated manner and then go out there in the profession and do subtle, sophisticated legal analysis. It sounds like in this world that we're imagining, where we've got smart contracts doing the self-executing coded work, and we've got templates that can uh, be picked and chosen from, and we've got AI that can do a bit of machine learning and uh, 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 language processing in there. It sounds like lawyers, young lawyers, are left to do that which they were trained to do in law school, to do that subtle, sophisticated, nuanced thinking that the computer and the smart contract cannot do. Am I missing that? Is that the right attitude for a young lawyer to have jumping into this? So
1: one of my partners when we started Monax was coming from securities. Uh, He was a securities lawyer and very early on, uh, we realized that a lot of what young attorneys do in reality is commoditized paper pushing that is of really no or very little strategic value uh, to a client. And if you can take away that drudgery and allow young lawyers to focus on what they were trained to do, then you have a much better world. You have a, a much you have a subtly different world, but you have a world where lawyers actually practice law rather than push papers around and uh, fulfill commoditized process that, that doesn't actually render a lot of value to clients. So it's a different world, but I think it's a little bit more hopeful world that allows lawyers to focus on practicing law and providing strategic legal advice rather than pushing paper.
0: So a lot of the listeners on the Legal Talk Network are seasoned practitioners. they are potentially many of them intimidated by the new technological landscape. Can you teach an old lawyer new tricks? What is the role of an older lawyer, a seasoned lawyer with a terrific practice, knows the nuances of their substantive and procedural legal practice? How do they integrate themselves in this new framework where there are smart contracts, AI, blockchain technology uh, that can be disruptive? How do they integrate themselves?
1: I think the biggest thing I typically say to older practitioners is to think about what they have always wanted to do if they had five of themselves. And in typically how we, uh, we render legal advice is done on a bespoke level. And if you had an ability to uh, take all of the experience that you have gleaned over 20, 30 years of practicing law, and if you had five of you that could actually execute That knowledge and leverage that knowledge, what would that world look like for you? And what this technology is really meant to do and what a lot of the startups in the legal tech space are fundamentally trying to do is to offer platforms and mechanisms for practicing attorneys to be able to scale their bespoke services into products that can bring in more money and open new lines of revenue. And when you think about it from that perspective, it becomes much more of an opportunity and much less scary.
0: Okay. Let's take the younger generation. Let's say you are now, Casey is now either entering law school, or in law school, just coming out of law school. What would you see as the greatest opportunities for a young lawyer or wannabe lawyer in this new system?
1: In the new world, you have, again, you have the ability to start productizing what used to be bespoke services. And on the one hand, and then on the other hand, you have the ability to focus on providing strategic legal advice. But if we think about the productizing of this, what technology gives, particularly young lawyers, but older lawyers as well, the opportunities of technology is really one of scale. We have not had an ability for legal services providers to achieve scale by productizing what they have done in the past. And new technologies such as blockchain and and AI give an ability for young lawyers to think about what can I do to achieve scale? And by achieving scale, I can solve one of the biggest problems that exists within law, which is the distribution problem. And by leveraging this scale and reducing the cost of any one particular engagement, I have an ability to then increase access to justice, which a lot of young lawyers end up coming into law school, caring a lot about, but then getting sucked into a machine that doesn't typically optimize around access to justice.
0: So I think you're pretty fortunate in that you have a unique mashup that makes you uniquely situated to do what you do and to play in this smart contract, legal contract world. What if you were instead a young humanities grad from college going to law school? I would imagine a lot of them would be pretty intimidated. Are there classes that you might recommend they take either at law school or at engineering schools or general assembly, skillshare programs? Should they be learning to code? Should they be learning to code on the blockchain? Are there tools for the sort of the more tech wary among us?
1: There are a lot of tools for the tech wary, and, and there are a lot of classes that are available for free online, um, which one could take. I think it is up to any one individual lawyer whether they want to teach themselves to code. For, in my experience, learning to code helped me be a better lawyer, and knowing how to be a lawyer made me a little bit better of a coder. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there is advantages for some of the more technically minded young lawyers that are in law school, um, even if they're a humanities grad, that does not mean they're not technically minded, to learn how to code, at least on some level. And and there's a whole range of resources that are available to help one do that. But I don't think it's necessarily a predicate for living in this world. Our company and others are trying to abstract away the code from the actual use of that code.
0: You talk about dual integration of smart contracts and legal contracts or prose contracts. What about the dual integration of the old lawyer and the new lawyer? Is there a way, so so I imagine the old law firms, the old line law firms are sort of desperate to understand the new world. This is perhaps a new opportunity for law grads to be once again embraced by big law. Over the years I've been teaching, folks coming out of law school haven't necessarily been embraced by big law. It seems like if they can come out of law school understanding the integration, the dual integration of smart contracts and legal contracts, can they be the salvation of big law in this world?
1: Potentially. And potentially, especially young lawyers that understand how to use technology to bring scale to products. And this is, at least in my opinion, one of the most interesting and important things that big law needs to understand and to be able to leverage. If big law is going to remain big and not get disrupted by smaller, more nimble players, by alternative legal services providers, and the number of other threats that big law firms have, they need to understand how to leverage technology to get scale across what they do, on top of just leveraging their brand to do what they've always done before, but rather take that brand and do something similar to what the big four have done, which is move more towards products. And leveraging the understanding that young lawyers can bring is a vital way to bring innovation in-house.
0: Well, you've given me some renewed hope for the future of the young lawyers out there. Uh, My attitude for the past eight years or so has been really to train that next generation of lawyer to be self-sufficient, to go out there, either drop your own shingle or become an entrepreneur slash lawyer. Use your legal training to explore new paths, to become a legal hacker, if you will, or a legal entrepreneur. It sounds like now there might be this new ability to be embraced by traditional law if they become the pioneers and thought leaders in the concept of smart contracting, blockchain, AI, et cetera. Is that an accurate assessment?
1: I would think so. I, I'm hopeful for the re-emergence of the solo practitioner. I'm hopeful for the emergence of the legal entrepreneur. And I'm also uh, hopeful for the embracing of innovation and scale that technology can bring for big law. I think across the legal services spectrum, technology can and should be leveraged to globally and collaboratively rethink at a fundamental level how we deliver legal services to our clients.
0: All right. Well, it sounds like you're helping to open up an interesting world for young legal thought leaders to use their legal training to advance this new world and to do that, which they were trained to do. Subtle, sophisticated, nuanced legal thinking. Before we close out today, I have one last question for you. If uh, our listeners would like to follow up, how might they reach you and your venture?
1: Sure. On Twitter, my company's name is Monax, M-O-N-A-X-H-Q. It's the easiest way to get a hold of us.
0: Terrific. Uh, Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank you, Casey, for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Terrific. Uh, We also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network.
1: If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit legaltalknetwork.com.